Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Caught Offside. With Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside. I'm just outside of New York City from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Do you think people are going to be a bit disappointed now after the raving success of your solo one-man show that now I'm back on the pod? No, no. I, In fact, I saw things suggesting the opposite. Of I saw comments from people saying that they kept waiting for you to chime in. Where's JJ? And that's not what it was. For anybody, we've just jumped right in here. Yesterday, uh, after Tottenham were humiliated publicly, I uh, I needed to vent. It was one of those kinds of games where you just like need to be heard. So uh, if you check your feeds and you want to hear it, I did 27 minutes, I think, on, yes. on what happened there and what it means. And it's just me. JJ was kind enough to give me the space. And I just it was funny. You said to me, like when I asked you about it, you were like, yeah, uh, yeah, if you can get like 20 minutes out there. That'd be great. Like instant reaction. Sure. Go for it. And I was like 20 minutes. I'm not going to get 20 minutes. JJ was like, it was like the scene in old school when Will Ferrell's giving the speech during the debate and he literally, he blacks out. He wakes up. What what happened? That was yeah. how, when it was over, that was how I felt. I was like 27 minutes. What? What? No. Yeah. It just started to flow out of you. Um, And I was dri- driving back from Montauk and it was, uh, I, I found it very, very good. I found it funny. Um, and I, 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 it was well worth it. And I'm glad I allowed it to happen. You did. I would never have done that without your okay. Would you not? No, I would always ask you if that's cool with you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. I, like I mean, now I know that it is. And I take that as a, as a blanket. Yes. Yeah. So, I if mean... the, so if the Sixers wind up in the NBA finals, get ready for 27 minutes on that. Yeah, well, I, I I definitely don't want to sanction uh, you too much because you might start doing things like uh, a Syracuse podcast called Jacuse, where Andrew comes on and talks about uh, Syracuse basketball or Syracuse football. I don't want that. Um, 
but people did like this. So I'll just read a few things here because in fairness, um, uh, it, it, it was well received. Um, uh, Coogies writes, I've actually listened twice. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm impressed with his ability to get across his raw emotions while still giving useful information and facts to back it up. Well done, Andy. Someday lads at Spurs won't mean anything anymore. Today is just not that day. <laughs> uh, the new American left. It was fantastic. Already listened twice, which is wow. Which is amazing too. Uh, Brissat Walda, he said, the whole time I'm thinking, JJ will chime in, right? Then realizing he's going for it. He's out in the abyss with only pain as his companion. Great stuff. Uh, which which was true. Uh, emergency pod excellence. Emmanuel uh, uh, tweets us, or sent us an email. He said, love the pod and listen always. Andrew's Sunday emergency podcast took that love to the next level. As a United fan, the Liverpool epic beatdown this year gave me every emotion in which Andrew stated and went through in the emergency pod. And Andrew, you are not alone. I genuinely wanted Liverpool to beat us 14-0, <laughs> me forcing myself to watch. Because if you're giving up five to six goals, why stop now? If I must suffer, the players must too. I love this pod because you're both true fans of your teams. And when you speak on the highs and lows, each of us listening understand completely. Um, I think that's the reasoning for the constant check-in with you, Andrew, during the Tottenham ride. Keep up the good works, uh, the good work, guys. Thank you, um, Emmanuel. I, I would just say there was a sexual element uh, to this pod um, that you put out. Underlying hints of you, uh, the pain versus pleasure principle, the whole idea that some people are into, be, into pain being inflicted upon them. And I think some sports fans do get something out of that. Um, so you, but, what do you, you picture me watching Tottenham like shirtless with like a, a car battery hooked up to my nipples? Is that like <laughs> the image here? <laughs> no, but at this point, go for broke, man. You yeah. know, why not? That's what they're giving you. <laughs> why don't you just get something out of it? Uh, well, oh, that's boy. so that's look, I like I said on when I did it, this one was for me, but uh, the fact that so many people seem to have enjoyed it, that's awesome. And thank you. That. That actually does mean quite a bit. So that's uh, that's very cool that you guys took it in and uh, and appreciated it. So maybe we'll continue to kind of do more of those things as as that kind of stuff arises. Uh, you know, when, yeah. When now I'm going to use this. Uh, I won't use this power now that I know we can do solar pods. I'm not going to use this power uh, correctly or judiciously. So get ready for Coventry City, the 1980 season, where I do a full hour and a half review. Of Coventry City. Yeah. Now, I should say, um, as we kind of get into this pod, uh, like, obviously, uh, if people miss that one, like I said, it's still there on your feed. So feel free to check it out. But because that exists, we're not going to sit here and do much on that game. So if no. you're if you're listening to this wondering, well, Tottenham gave up five goals in 21 minutes. How are they not talking about it? It's because there's a pod that's devoted to it. So <laughs> check that one out. Um, because it's all it's all there. The one things that I did miss, obviously, uh, earlier today, Christian Stellini was relieved of his duties mercifully, and it was a relief for everyone. Yeah, him included. I don't think he, oh, I don't no. think he needed to to watch his reputation continue to sink any lower than it has. Uh, the the one th I mean, it's interesting to me that he was even kept on at all, um, considering he was Conte's right hand man. Um, you would have thought they would have moved on from all of that and gone straight to Ryan Mason, but they did keep him, which tells me how much the the situation there wasn't necessarily about the fact that Levy didn't like the system that Conte was running at Spurs. It tells me that he just didn't like Conte. Yeah, <laughs> that it was personal. Uh, but but this yesterday, I mean, they needed a clean break from all that, and that is now what happened. Uh, I um, would um, I would suggest people uh, read the Daniel Levy statement today. 
uh, which was which was posted as a message from Daniel, which is always kind of informal, but okay. Um, you know what? I, like, yeah, I, I'm almost in no mood to hear from him. I, I, like, I, know, I know Tottenham fans, like they say they want to, but this guy rarely speaks with with Tottenham supporters. And yet on YouTube, like a month ago, he, he does like a, a Q&A with the Cambridge University something where like he opened it up to random people to ask questions. God forbid yeah. he ever actually do that for for Tottenham supporters. Yeah, um, well, I think I think read it if you're a Tottenham supporter and then read Seb Stafford Bloor's thread on it. Um, and I'll just give you a quick flavor of this because we're not um, in, in the words of a a famous New York broadcaster, we're not doing any more Tottenham today. We're not doing any more A-Rod today was his thing. And uh, there is a podcast there for it. But he, Seb says, 20 years is a good run. It's time, though. No more shiny managers, bad transfer transfers, and bluster. It has to stop. It needs a new face and personality as chairman, someone with a new angle on the game. As yesterday showed so vividly, if you don't take any responsibility, then nobody else will. Um, and the final one was placate them by saying we're going to sack the caretaker. Come on now. Deck chairs, Titanic. Oh, 100%. Desperate, pointless moves. Yeah, that I agree with. Now, the I... one thing one thing about this game that I do want to mention, because I, I spoke yesterday, but it was all about Tottenham. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another team who inflicted that beating. Yes. And so Newcastle does, they do warrant uh, a mention here. That was incredible. I mean, that was incredible. Now, look, Tottenham made it very easy for them. I think Tottenham would have been beaten by anybody yesterday. Yeah, I, mean, we I think go, it would have been we, too. we can go down into like into the National League, and I think you would have found some teams that would there that would have beaten Tottenham the way they were set up in that game yesterday. But Newcastle, to score five goals in 21 minutes, that, that's a particular level of ruthlessness that I don't know that just anyone can do that. Um, they, no, were, I... they were clicking in ways that was – I mean, it was – every shot was on target – Every run was perfect. Joe Willock's pass. Uh, I mean, like, you know. It, that, it was, was, that, was, that was an exceptional piece of skill. And I think only Willock tries that when you're feeling yourself. I agree. You know, um, that was beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. And probably go down as one of the passes of the season. Yeah, they were Newcastle spectacular. Were, I really think any of the, the, the top sides now would have ran over Tottenham. I, I really do. I think they would have destroyed them. But that's not to say that Newcastle weren't very, very good. Um, when uh, Guimaraes came, came off in the second half, like he got a standing ovation. I mean, Newcastle did the thing you have to do in a big game. And you recognize this is a game against a team challenging for your position in the top four. They did the thing you have to do, which is win your first balls. And if you don't win the first ball, you win the second ball. They suffocated Tottenham. They never allowed them out. I know um, Stellini played into their into their hands somewhat with the formation that he played, um, putting maybe what would you describe as players out of position or, you know, a back four for a team that hasn't played it since the middle of 2022 and players in Perisic and Poro that don't know how to play it. Jesus Christ almighty. Like, what are you doing? The only thing I'll give Poro credit for was he kicked someone around the 30th minute, like kicked them out on the sideline. And I'm like, okay, yeah, 20 minutes too late. Right, exactly. But should have been done when it was three. Having Paris Paris to play there with someone as slow as Hoiberg directly in front and someone like San who's not going to track back. Disaster. Absolute disaster. But but again, I don't I don't I don't want to take away from Newcastle because um that wasn't just a beatdown yesterday. That was the shape of things to come. Now it may not be Eddie Howe there all the time. 
And it may not be Dan Byrne and it may not be uh, Joe Willock and it definitely won't be Sean Longstaff. But Newcastle are ahead of schedule Mm -hmm. and Newcastle are taking the lunch money of both Tottenham and potentially Arsenal and potentially Liverpool. There's a new power uh, which is backed by unbelievable wealth and money um, and they are going to be relevant players in the Premier League now in a way they haven't been in 20 years and it won't be what it was under Keegan and it won't be what it was under Sir Bobby. It will be sustained and so... Um, people need to get used to that idea, however unpalatable it may be. I think your the point that you make about it being ahead of schedule is what's most interesting slash frightening. Yeah. Uh, this was from uh, the Newcastle at Newcastle United Supporters Club of Bulgaria. Um, <laughs> I went deep for this one, JJ. They yeah. they tweeted um, just a reminder nine exclamation mark of the Newcastle United players that featured against Tottenham Hotspur were at the club prior to Eddie Howe's arrival. Mm-hmm. sensational coaching job. Um, yeah, I would say that. But I, again, I, I don't want to belabor points I've made before, but... Um, but that is, I mean, that is something. Because like we say, the money, the money's there, but the wave of talent to, <sighs> reflected by that money has not necessarily arrived yet. That's the scary part. He's doing this with guys that we're not necessarily supposed to be doing. These, these are a lot of the players that were supposed to move out for the wave of, of money players to come well in. i think his influence has been important and like particularly in making uh joe linton into the player he is uh they had their record transfer striker beginning to get fit and score goals now he's playing center forward yep. their record their all-time record player they have the one of the up-and-coming players who was linked like bruno gamar's was supposed to go to Arsenal. He was supposed to go somewhere like that. He wasn't supposed to go to Newcastle in the midst of a relegation battle. And now you're seeing just how good of a player he is. Uh, Botman, Tripp- Trippier as well. Like Trippier is a Champions League level in England international player. Mm-hmm. And he's he went to Newcastle during a relegation battle. So look, the pull the pull of what's to come is probably more rather than what's he, what's at Newcastle right now. The 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 surety of Champions League football, the surety of big wages, and the surety of being. A, a title contender very, very soon is what's going to attract even even better players to um to the northeast. Yep. It's coming. That wave is coming. You know who I think about in, in times like this as I'm watching a beatdown like that unfold? Who? I think JJ about the the fans of this show whom we doled out Newcastle as their help a fan club because i remember yeah. we i remember there was a year where we did that we gave newcastle in our help a fan program that for people who have listened to this pod we haven't done it in a few years but every year before the premier league season we had a list a questionnaire and if you needed a premier league club to support you would fill it out send it back to us and we would put it through our our brains and yeah. decide what club best suited you and there was one year in particular where I felt like we gave out Newcastle to a lot of people. And yeah. then they went and got relegated. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, God, what have we done? We've turned off so many people. And I just wonder how many of those people stuck with it and are now bearing the fruit from that. I've seen a few on Reddit, uh, a couple of guys who who um, who got them in help a fan and stuck with them. So well done to you. You've hit the jackpot. You um, sure have. There, You could just tell watching that game, the crowd just like how invested the crowd was, how loud they were, you know, the the players, just how like it just it feels like they're all together. Like the crowd, the management, the the ownership. I mean, uh, you could players, never like it just it's all it's all right right now, and you could just you could you're watching that, and you can't help but think there are 
there are great days in that club's future. They're going to be experiencing things that they probably never dreamt possible three years ago. I mean, the thing about the club, you could never doubt their support all the way through. Um, And from, from, from when they came up from the first division uh, back in the early nineties and then went on that great run with Kevin Keegan. And then they had a lull period and then they went back to the, they went to the champions league under Sir Bobby Robson. Um, But that's not this. Doesn't mean they're not invested. They love being back here. How they've got back to where they are is um, is the moral quandary for us all in football, and and how we report it and cover it is important too. And um, because as as a as you said, there's good times coming. Um, it's incredibly grim. It's incredibly grim how it's been done, and that's you know I don't I don't blame supporters, but they but we again we can't infantilize them. We can't treat them like children. They they know what's going on and they're capable of doing research, and um and yeah. So I I mean we we've those help fan people got lucky and also we've delivered them a massive moral quandary too. Yeah, so. I guess that's true. I yeah. guess that's true. Um, obviously a lot of other things happened over the weekend, even before the weekend started. JJ, one of the matches of the season at both the top of the table and the very bottom of the table, I, Arsenal and Southampton. I mean, when you put those I, I, two down, uh, who would have thought it would deliver what it did? But my God, what an, <laughs> what an unbelievable afternoon of soccer that was. I, I, so I was driving, and um, my uh, heavily pregnant girlfriend is incredibly invested in the Premier League. She's a Tottenham fan. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we were actually, she was in bed on, again, and the final Tottenham reference, I promise. Uh, we, she was in bed on Sunday morning, and she put it on, put Tottenham Newcastle on the iPad and I I asked her to turn it off because this is too stressful and um and I wanted to protect my child um uh, from this yeah. from this cruel harsh world yes, um, but she put it on that we were on we were driving up on Friday and she she put the game on her phone and put it through the speakers so it was almost like listening to radio and it was it was magic it was an absolutely magic game um it, it's not a game that's going to help the Arsenal fans who were offended by our bottling conversation from last week. Uh, I mean, I mean, you're going to the basement dwellers, you're going two nil up, and you, you are you're two nil down. Sorry, two nil down, and right, you're 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 it goes three one, and then you're rescuing uh, a point, a point that satisfies neither team. This this uh, was mutually assured destruction. It really was. It does nothing except now pile on the pressure uh, for Championship Wednesday. Um, yeah, I mean, this, I, I won- th- this killed both teams. Like, the, a, a draw was the only result that suited no one here. Um, no, I mean, I guess it's it's better than, I suppose it's better than nothing. There's a chance that Arsenal and, and City could be decided by a single point at the end of the season. That's that's not out of the realm of possibility, but it's it's two dropped points and it, it tips the scales heavily back in Manchester City's favor. I mean, there's no other way to read that. It doesn't take away from how exhilarating the finish was. Yeah. And, and I do give Arsenal credit for the fight that they showed. Um, I mean, this is, again, it's... It's not good that they went in a two nil hole at home to the team that's bottom of the table and then a three one hole uh to the team that's bottom of the table like that. Those are not good things, of course. But the fact that they never hung their heads, the fact that they kept going, the fact that they did get two goals late and nearly I mean on a couple occasions after they got the, the tying goal, almost got a, a fourth to win it. Um, you know, they they never stop. 
So I do I do give them credit because I, I think that in the midst of a, a very negative result, that does say something about this team. Uh, yeah, it does, but it just they couldn't afford it. Yeah. They couldn't afford it. And it's at home. And I know Southampton are fighting for their lives, but also in many games they're not. And Arsenal are a better team. And it was just after the West Ham result, they needed the win and especially going into the City game. And now I I wonder with the two games in hand and if City win them, City are top, clear top by a point. I wonder if if this is already over for Arsenal. That's a big statement. That's a big I th- statement. I, I think I th- I think just in terms of performance, um, and God, my God, would I love to be wrong? I would adore being wrong in this scenario. And you know me, I love to be right. Um, I would, I would just love it to be the case that this that I am wrong. But I think it's over. I think Arsenal have they've done what they could. Um. They've wobbled at the wrong point, and now City, like, because you just don't see City losing. I don't see them losing on Wednesday night. I don't either. Um, and if they don't, then well, then that that's just an admission. It's over. You're on the same page as me. You you're just not as willing to commit in a very very definitive statement. So to me, I w- here's what I would say in terms of the game coming up on Wednesday. If that's a winner take all game, I think it is, but only if City win. Like I think. I think Arsenal could win and still drop and, and still not necessarily be safe here. No, I know. Like they I they could still lose it. And that's by the way, that's not like I don't think that's a controversial statement necessarily. No. Uh, Arsenal still play Chelsea, Newcastle and Brighton before the season's out. Like they just drop points to Southampton. Okay? Like nothing's off the table here. They're no. run, like no offense to them, they're human. City are not. Like it's not What's happening with Arsenal? Arsenal may finish with ninety points this season, and not win the title. Like that's an that's an extraordinary season for a team of mortals. Like Manchester City are just they're just different. We've talked about this for years. You lived it firsthand with Liverpool. Yeah. Would you have ninety eight points one season and lost? Yeah. Like what? Are, you know. So you're dealing with a different beast here. So I don't mean it as any. It's not an offense to Arsenal. No, and, and I know I, people. But... People want to take it that way. I'm not saying that. This is an extraordinary season, but you don't. Your club is just, in terms of personnel, quality players. Like, yeah, you've gone deeper than I ever imagined. You know, we saw what Eddie Nketiah did this season when Arsenal desperately needed a body to come in for Gabriel Jesus. He was spectacular. Reese Nelson in spurts has come in and done a job that has been spectacular for them when they've needed. But ultimately, it's just not the size of what Manchester City's is. You're running out of gas, and City are still operating on a full tank. Yeah, and it's, but I hate that. Like, and I I don't want to get into a bigger conversation, but I do hate the fact that, you know, a team like Arsenal who are playing such, who have played such good football, albeit, you know, the West Ham game, if you talk to anyone, they, they were good for 10 minutes and then it was not good. But Arsenal genuinely have been excellent leaders and they've been good to watch. If, you know, Odegaard, Martinelli... Saka, Xhaka, Party, they've been a great side and it's frustrating a couple of draws here or there can't happen because you've got the T one thousand. Yeah. You know, now now just... I will say like we're 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 heaping the sympathy on Arsenal. This has been a little bit of their own making. Like we just said, Southampton at home, this should not be happening. And then multiple games leading up where they've held two goal leads and, and crapped it away. That's on I them know. too. 
I it it is on them, but um, but like the sense that there is, like I said, the T one thousand, a relentless pursuer, who will eventually claw his way up to you and then turn himself into a spear and stab you through the head. Uh, that's that's well, we'll find out. I I think the the I guess the X factor here is, you know, Manchester City do still have some vitally important Champions League fixtures to go with Real Madrid. Uh, how that impacts their form in the Premier League, hard to say. I mean, they, this has happened with them before, and it hasn't impacted their Premier League form late in seasons when they've made deep Champions League runs. So I'm, I'm kind of conditioned to believe that they, like I said, they've got the squad size and depth to handle this fight on multiple fronts against Titanic forces like Real Madrid. So like that's why I'm I'm tending to agree with you that even if Arsenal win that game I still I still see a route for City to take the title and I don't expect Arsenal to win that game my my expectation is that Manchester City will um but it's fascinating I think the thing like going back to the Southampton game for a sec JJ just like if you look at the way that things played out for Arsenal in the games leading up to that the last thing on earth that they needed was what Aaron Ramsdale did one minute into that game. When like you're coming in probably a little bit shaky off of the on the back of those two devastating draws that that they just gave away, G- giving up two goal leads. The last thing they need is some boneheaded self-inflicted error one minute in that whatever nervous nervous energy there was is suddenly exaggerated by by an exponent of 10. I totally agree with you. Apart from the fact it was a materially a materially impactful uh, mistake on the field, it ratchets up the pressure in that building. It takes an already tense fan base to another level. And I'm sorry, that spreads onto the field. It does. We've seen it. We've seen examples of it this season where things that are done on the field changes the, the, the state of the crowd and, and then in, in some way changes the game state like Trent Alexander-Arnold versus Granit Xhaka at 2-0 and Arsenal cruising. That ratcheted things up to a new level. So I absolutely agree with you. And and it's funny, after the Liverpool game, I was talking about Ramsdale and I was just kind of extolling his virtues. The last few games, he's begun to look immature and a little bit shaky. And... uh And the kind of... The, doing the kind of... The kind of nervous stuff that you expect a younger goalkeeper to do, but you, that you can't afford when you're in the position they're in. Tell you who wouldn't have done that. Who? Matt Turner. <laughs> One thing with, um, with Southampton, boy, JJ, like they're bottom of the table. They're there for a reason. They're not very good. They're going down. Um, but like, man, there were moments in that game where I was just like, they're bottom. Like that second yeah. goal. The second goal that Southampton scored to go up 2-0, like just that whole passage of play, the steal, the immediate counter, everybody knowing exactly where they need to be, the pass, I think it was from Alcaraz, I think it was him, to to Theo Walcott, the finish from a tight angle. I mean, I watched that whole move, and I'm just thinking, like, they're 20th? How? I know. And the funny thing about them is, like they, we said it at the start of the season. You you called it actually. So I think it was on the preview pod, and I listed all the young players. They did not try to buy experience. 
They went all young from the goalkeeper all the way through. And you said, look, this team has been flirting with it for a while. Is this the season that they, they finally fall through the trapdoor? And it probably will be. But there's something about them for the future. <laughs> I agree. I think they'll be right back up. Um, it, yeah, well, I mean, that does depend on how many the players they can keep. But I think there's enough to take them straight that for them to be back up. Um, and that's that's no disrespect to the championship. And it is a, it can be a tricky division to get out of. But there was a sense of them building towards the future with the signings that they made. They're not like they're bad. They give up a lot of goals. They leave their their goalkeeper unprotected so often. Um, but they're they're not a, they're not that bad of a team. There's the kernel of something to build on, and we've said for some clubs they can't go down. Everything can't go down. The stadium, etc. The the money situation. Maybe there are clubs like we've seen with Burnley who can go down and do a reset. And maybe maybe Southampton will be one of those teams. Depending, I mean, I don't know what the financial situation is there. Um, and there were things that Jesse Marsh, not that Jesse Marsh is the oracle now all of a sudden, but there were things that he saw that made him not want to touch the club. I still, I, I still have questions about that. I, and we'll are we more- sure there was things about the club or the contract he was offered? I don't. I don't know. Because wasn't he only offered a deal through the end of the season? But what did let, let me research this while you yeah. talk a little bit. But I, I read something either in the Athletic or somewhere that he wasn't enamored with the club structures. Okay. Well, that's probably true too. Which makes you wonder about Matt Crocker. Uh we'll get to which that. Which we'll which we'll talk about. Um Yeah, I guess one one final note on this. So Arsenal, so they're down three one. Um, great goal from Odegaard in the 88th, then uh, Saka in the 90th. And then I just keep thinking, JJ, Trossard hits the crossbar in the 92nd. Yeah. Uh, and then in the 90, what was it, 96th, uh, Reese Nelson has one deflected like inches wide of the goalpost. Um, and then that's at the end, there was that little flurry in front of goal where Southampton are just throwing bodies desperately in front to try to block shots, and they managed to block everything and clear it, and then the whistle blew. But I keep thinking, let's say if Trossard scores that, he hit the crossbar, if he scores, and Arsenal, in the midst of, of a fairly epic title race that we've got brewing here, if they get goals in the 88th, 90th, and 92nd, three goals in four minutes to re-swing the balance of the title back in Arsenal's favor. And they do it at home in front of that crowd that was just losing its mind. After Saka scored, I mean, you could hear the noise in that place, willing their team on. I, I, it didn't it didn't happen, so we'll never know. I think if it had, it might have been a top five Premier League moment all time. Oh, I definitely think so. Um, but still a month ago in the season, I think that I think it's still a top five moment if that if that comeback occurs. Uh Oh, it, it 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 would have been so amazing. Now again, I I didn't actually see it with my eyes. I was driving, so I had the radio version, and it was it was thrilling even then. Um, what a shame for Arsenal that didn't happen. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. Um, uh, you got anything else on this, or are you still? Are you? It seems like I know your faces. It seems like you're 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 researching something right now. You're reading. Yeah, so for Marsh, uh, this is in The Athletic. From his point of view, there were many aspects of Southampton's infrastructure he liked. 
But given he had only been sacked by Leeds nine days earlier, the timing fell slightly off. Coupled with Southampton's position, three points adrift at the bottom of the league and some of his backroom staff, such as Paco Gallardo and Chris Armour, staying at Leeds, there was a narrow window for Marsh to make the impact at St. Mary's he desired. Ultimately, he would have he would only have 16 matches to preserve Southampton's Premier League status. Um, and then Ankerson was keen to, distra- to stress the benefits of the bigger picture at Southampton, uh, looking beyond the downsides of short-term survival, uh, but wanting to focus on the youthful project, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I guess Marsh didn't... He felt like he was... He was going straight into the relegation fire line after just being removed from it. So mm-hmm. I think that's why he went against it. So um, maybe they weren't the infrastructure questions I had. But I, I also think, and I still think, okay, they go down, Jesse. It's not bad for your career. Being a championship manager is not a bad thing. And especially if you can bring them back up, that's a that's a great uh, string to your bow, uh, so to speak. I, I, I think he made the wrong decision there. Uh, speaking of the the relegation battle, oh, it was Lord. a pretty good wild Lord. weekend, as as they all are um, in this race. Uh, Leeds falling to Fulham, um, and now it, it seems JJ that Leeds support they've kind of run out of 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 managers to blame, people to blame. So now the the finger of blame is being pointed further upwards. Yes, it's at Victor Orta. Now, a lot of Leeds supporters will tell you, especially after the January window and their, some of the issues they've had bringing in players in defensive and striking positions, uh, that Victor Orta was already a target, but he was the only name you could hear Leeds United, especially at 2-0 down, that Leeds fans were were shouting out um, for, we want Orta out, uh, basically. Uh, Phil Hay had an interesting comment, though, generally. He said, like, he was talking to the Square Ball podcast, uh, the Leeds United podcast, and he said that the players have to take responsibility for for these poor, poor performances. But for Javi Gracia, it feels like he is picking up the pieces of a model that's pretty much shot. Now that's that's Orta's model, that's Radrizzani's model, um, and it's also probably Bielsa's model, and that it's not just. A case of, well, you know, the manager's not good or the players aren't good. The whole project, Andrew, is kind of done. And the problem is you can't switch streams now in the middle of a relegation battle. They've got to make the most of what they can. Andrew, they look no better under Gracia than they did under Marsh. They probably look worse. I never feel like they're going to score. Sinistero, uh, Crescencio Somerville, Patrick Bamford, Jack Harrison, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I never feel like they're going to score. And when you get that way with a team, you're in trouble. Uh, Yeah. And then some of the things happening around them, not helping. West Ham, I mean, they were fantastic against Bournemouth. Just smashed them 3-0 at the half, um, up 2-0 within 12 minutes. This was, I mean, once again, every time we've said this, David Moyes keeps inching closer and closer to the line, and then something happens where he, he saves himself. And buys himself more goodwill. I, I think I, there's look. There's still a lot of football to be played, but I, I'm now putting. I've I've moved. I've moved West Ham much closer to the safe column. Um, there's. I mean, look. They are still part of this fight. If you're talking yeah. about the, the relegation battle, they are still part of it. But I'm. I'm. They're on the furthest edge of it for me right now. Um, it's funny you should mention that because I saw two things uh, on the internet today when I was um, reading some stuff. 
Uh, Ali McCoist, former Ranger striker, and he's a football commentator and talk sport analyst. He was on with Laura Woods. They do a they do a nice show on talk sport. Talk sport is hit and miss, but I do like Laura Woods. Uh, and Ali McCoist said, uh, was asked, I think Laura asked him, should Moyes stay on? And McCoy said, of course he deserves to stay. They could finish mid-table and win a European trophy. Surely that is enough. <laughs> and I'm like... Well, I'm mid-table like, is, is a weird thing this year. Right. But, I mean, it's all in the context of the table. I mean, the table is the table. Uh, Rayeth Al-Samari then wrote in the Daily Mail, whisper it, but out of some turgid football and sustained periods of awful results, they might even reflect on a successful season if that conference league campaign goes their way. Silly old game, really. And that is how stupid it is. They win. What, the game or that that competition? No, I think that competition is great. Um, Okay. They, no, but it's just the game in general. The (laughs) football. Life, Andrew. You know? (laughs) The inches we need are everywhere. Everywhere. Six inches in front of your face. Now I can't make you do it. Um, it's it's uh, it's crazy to me though because this guy's been on the hot seat that they've looked like really bad, and they could finish comfortably above the relegation zone, like you said, mid table is a bit weird, and they could pick up a European trophy. In fact, you would go as far as to say that, <laughs> considering how much money they've spent, they bloody better should win, should, uh, you know, the Conference League. Like West Ham should be winning that. That's a good point. They've spent like two hundred million. So, come on. Yeah, I mean they they've got Declan Rice. The Pakata signing was a, was a huge one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, but for a team that has been flirting with relegation for the entirety of the season, it feels like that would also be an amazing achievement. But but I do when you look at the competition in that competition, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, uh, I, now I the, just... the interesting the interesting thing JJ will be. Like so, this Moyes thing. This will probably be something more for when the season's over. But if they're gonna say, of course he should be back, well then, like that needs to be remembered next year. If they find themselves in the relegation fight again, you know what everybody would be saying. They, yeah, that it it should it was the the warning signs were all there. <laughs> I know they should they should have known at the yeah they they escaped and their fans were happy at the end of the season they made a nice cup run but you know the warning signs were all there they were playing bad football look at the teams that they were amongst in but that relegation I, battle they had spent so much more than them we should have known then can i can i put this to you though um i, I know i know west ham fans do have a kind of a, a somewhat or an, an occasional elevated status you know, I mean, they were right. Re- they've been relegation fodder since the seventies, and they've gone down a lot and come back up a lot. But this season, like, they're still in the mix at the end of the season. They're going to stay up. Like, I, I know it's not where they were last season. Where at one point we were talking about Champions League football for West Ham or push pushing for fifth or sixth, and they were in like the Europa League semi final, etc. Yeah. They're feeling something. I mean, they're alive. It's not always great football, but they're alive. Do you get what I mean? That they should be happy to be experiencing the thrill of a relegation battle? But everything they do is relevant. Like, there's some clubs in that kind of mid-table mush and nothing matters. 
I mean, I think they'd rather be Fulham right now. Would they? Well, okay. Would they, though? The the Conference League adds an element to the conversation that complicates it. It does. They're on course to win a trophy that Roma won last season under Jose Mourinho. Yeah. The same Jose Mourinho. That's an interesting question. Yeah, I I just... Someone made the point to me um, that... And it was ages ago... uh, Who's, I guess the best example is maybe like a Palace or Fulham this season, but, you know, Wolves most seasons. Like, Wolves seasons are largely irrelevances. Mm-hmm. They win a few games here, they stay up. But the joy of being, the thrill of being in a, in a relegation battle. But or that's even... not a good thing, though. Like, I, I can't... I... I but see at least you're, you're alive, damn it. I mean, you're, you make it sound like last season was, was I, I don't know, talk to an Everton fan. Like, that was incredibly thrilling. That game against Palace at the end of the year, it was one of the most memorable Everton games of probably the last 20 seasons. And it was, but, like, it was but the was most it a game, but, but was it a game that they wanted to be a part of? Was it a game that they wanted to have meaning in? Like, n- no, but I suppose what I'm saying to you is, um, would you like in in any sphere of of life uh maybe relationships or business or whatever would you rather be hated loved or not cared or talked about at all loved you prefer to be loved but would you rather be hated or not talked about not talked about <laughs> i don't you would rather be hated you're a monster cuz at least i'm on someone's mind <laughs> I'm just saying, I just think for a lot of clubs, there's this golden cage in the Premier League and they just forget how to feel. They're numb. Look, you're a genius. You're you're a really smart guy. The fact that you've even got my brain thinking about this is really impressive. Um, But I think you lost it a little bit with the, I'd rather be hated than not thought about. I don't know. I took it one analogy. Uh, I would say a little like, too close to the sun on wings of pastrami. <laughs> Sorry about yeah. that. Anyway, I um I did my best. But I'm just saying, you know I, I do think you're the, the hypothetical you threw out there of you can either be mid table and safe, but your season is kind of dull. I, or yeah. you can be in the thick of a relegation battle plus a deep cup run in Europe. Granted, Europe's lowest tiered competition but <laughs> still nevertheless which of those which of those doors would you walk through i i, I want to feel something i always want to feel i want I don't to know feel if it's totally fair to suggest that fulham fans haven't felt anything this no era. this season they definitely have a fulham aren't the best example i'm thinking of i'm thinking palace. of uh, the palace or or wolves of the last few years i guarantee you, you ask a wolves fan what was your best season and, and you make them say, they won't tell you what was the time we finished ninth or tenth in the league in the Premier League wow it won't be it'll be the day they were promoted from like League One or the day they were promoted from the championship like we always used to make fun of the the boing boing baggies like oh it must be terrible to be just you get promoted and then you're relegated again and you're promoted no they've got they've got amazing stories you're right. I get what you're saying, but uh, but again, these are competitions that I just don't think teams actively are wanting to be a part of. It's not it's not a good thing to be flirting with relegation. 
speak can I return to a relationship analogy like okay. uh, take another stab at it sure I'll have another go if you were uh, go back to your younger days because no one finds you attractive now but if Fair. <laughs> I'm joking that's not true you're a very handsome man if um, if you were if there was a girl you really really liked but it was definitely over and it's going nowhere would you sooner that she when you finished she still thought about you in some way or that like she was eh Andrew was like, you know, wallpaper. He was just there, whatever. You'd sooner that she still... Yeah, but I don't know if this analogy in any way aligns with, with what you're talking about. I No, but what I mean is that even if the experience wasn't positive necessarily, you did feel something and you were a part of something. Yeah, better to have loved... And loved and lost, and never then loved be at mid table and be mid table uh, and watch your team. Honestly, now I'm con- I'm generally I'm confused now. I don't <laughs> even remember really that analogy. Just it threw me. I oh, don't Jesus. know how it I've works. I've tortured it now. I've re- I've gone too far. You have. I have. I have gone too far. You have. I take it um, quickly before we get out of this. Uh, Everton now back in the relegation zone, a place that apparently it, there's no better place to be, according to some <laughs> on this podcast, than right where Everton are in this very moment. <laughs> Um, and so I, I see in the rundown, you're asking the question, um, which no one was asking right away, but Sean Deitch, if there's, if there's a bit of buyer's remorse here from, uh, the Everton decision makers, I I just like anyone who had to endure palace versus Everton, it was terrible. It was just terrible. And I looked at his record. So 12 matches under David Moyes. David Moyes, Sean Dyche. <laughs> They've won three games. All right. Drawn four, lost five. 13 points. Points per match, 1.08. I mean, if it keeps them up, fine. But there is just... I don't feel like it's... Like, it is more organized than Lampard, for sure. But I think... I think most setups would be. I don't know. It's... And they're no longer safe. They got a point, and yet they still slipped into the relegation zone because of results around them. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, Andrew. This this whole relegation race, um, it, it's not. It's still not clear to me how this is going to go. All these teams are bad, but in this league, as Southampton nearly showed us over the weekend, they're all capable of doing things we don't necessarily expect, like Everton did last year when they beat Chelsea. Um, so. I can't I can't call it other than I other than I believe Southampton are are going down. I do feel fairly comfortable in saying that. Um but it's I don't know. I'm not going to uh, and I think West Ham like I said I think they're probably safe. I I view them in that way right now, but who the hell knows? You got four teams between what 19 and 16 separated by two points. That could all go. That there are so many permutations of how that could still play itself out. Can't call it. Just enjoying this ride. That's that's all. That's where I'm at with it. Fair enough. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how it all goes. By the way, uh, we'll get to some FA Cup stuff in a sec. But before we do, I just want to remind everybody, like we talked about last week, um, we're so excited uh, to tell you that support for Caught Offside is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package. Join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with code CAUGHTOFFSIDE 
at manscaped.com. So, uh, yeah, we are, we're extremely excited about partnering up with them. I've used it. I cannot stress enough how easy it is to use. Um, and so if, uh, if you're a modern man like us, highly recommend. And, highly recommend. uh, much better than, I mean, so far superior to other methods. You caused a right stir amongst many people yeah. by telling them how you walked into the bathroom with your scissors. That's how you used to do things. That's horrifying. Yeah. Vision. This product was made for people like me who were just, who, who wanted to do the right things, but were utterly clueless in how to go about them. And now we can. Yeah. So we, everybody just get on that. It's a, uh, it's a great offer. Please get it really is. Uh, yeah, uh, it really is. Uh, like we said, 20% off free worldwide shipping with code caught offside at manscaped.com. Um, all kinds of things come with this in the package. The the main thing called the, the lawnmower 4.0, which is the main trimmer. Um, it comes with another trimmer for nose hairs. Uh, there were boxer briefs in there. Obviously, there's a charger and a stand for it. Um, so it's, it's great stuff. Hi, honestly, we would not recommend or push something that we didn't believe in or use ourselves and so that's i can't give it any higher stamp of approval than that scissors in, no more scissors no more i'm getting into the shower with it tomorrow morning do oh, some do round some, two do some sculpting baby sculpting so not just a clean shave you're actually like this is this is artwork yep i'm gonna do a map of county cavan down there <laughs> ah very very nice uh, I'll tell you what, let's let's all think about that. We'll go into break. We'll have a nice long think about what that looks like. Uh, we'll come back to a little bit of FA Cup semifinals, including a, a question from JJ about the venue, um, which I, I find interesting. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Obviously, we referenced earlier the Matt Crocker appointment for the United States um, as the new sporting director, what that means in terms of coaching possibilities down the road. Uh, Napoli, Bayern Munich, still a lot to do here on Cut Offside. Don't go anywhere. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Oh, back now. Caught offside. It was a very busy weekend. Beyond the happenings of the Premier League, JJ. In fact, many people tell you that the Premier League really should be taking a backseat to the other things that were going on, and that was the FA Cup semifinals but on Saturday and Sunday. It really didn't, though, did it? Well, I think I think, I think Arsenal Southampton set a tone for the weekend that that just that just grabbed the focus. I don't. And I I, I, so I think about this sometimes. The League Cup final, um, FA Cup semifinals. I don't love that these things are mixed in among 
Premier League action. Couldn't agree with you more. I think they they are important enough for, to have their own day, but yeah, um, that's not the way the the cup competitions have been framed um, in in these in these halcyon days for the Premier League. Everyone is just uh, Premier League obsessed. I think I think the big problem was Saturday's FA Cup semi final at Wembley was not well attended. <laughs> um, I mean, there was at least 20, 25,000 empty seats. And Sheffield United and Man City just don't have big enough fan bases that they're going to, apart from the fact it's expensive to travel there, tickets, all that stuff, they don't fan, they don't have the fan bases to to really fill that. Now, obviously, for the Manchester Derby, it'll be it'll be full. United okay. could United could fill uh, fill it themselves with with their London support. Never mind anybody coming down from Manchester. And it just raised the question again that um, maybe we should go back to the old ways, where you didn't have the semi-finals at Wembley. Wembley was reserved for the final, and you took the semi-finals somewhere else, like usually Villa Park or Old Trafford. When did that change? Again, it changed. So, when I was a kid in the early nineties, they decided to do semi-finals uh, for one or two years at Wembley, and then they reverted back. And then, when New Wembley was opened, they decided we're having semi-finals there again. And I do think it's a money thing that they Wembley as a stadium, as a Wembley Stadium company, needs their match day revenue from from semi-finals. I think that's part of it too. The other do part they is, really like? There's not enough events there. That it really makes that much of a difference in their bottom line? Two games? Apparently, apparently it does. That's apparently hard for does. me to believe. And there's another part of it as well, is that like, well, you know, Villa Park traditionally was the home of, often the home of FA Cup semifinals. We remember Ryan Giggs' great goal against Arsenal in 99. That was at Villa Park, but yada, yada, yada. But uh, Villa Park doesn't have the capacity right now. It would have to have its capacity increased, but Old Trafford does. And as Jamie Carroll pointed out, next season Anfield will too. So, Bring these games out of out of London. Well, let me ask the question. Is there a need? Like, do you agree with the idea that the FA Cup semifinals need to be held at a neutral site? Yes. You do? Absolutely. Why? Why? What why wouldn't they? Well, what other why what what other competition what? is like that? Where semifinals are held at neutral sites, other than the final four in college Sem- basketball. Semifinals Unless they're across two legs, where you have a home and away leg for the for both sides, uh, a home leg for both sides, they're they're always at neutral venues. The FA Cup always has been at a neutral venue. Yeah, I'm just asking, does it need to be? I think it does. Hmm. I think so. Um, and it's again, it, it it wouldn't if they were across two legs, but that's the last thing that anybody wants is a two-legged FA Cup semi-final. I mean, well, God, that's what no. they do for the the Carabao Cup. Exactly, exactly. And people, I mean, the, the the cup competitions are in many ways on their arse. The last thing they need is is uh, is more games. Um, and also the matchups, like City were always going to cruise that game against Sheffield United, and they did. And Manchester United-Brighton, you were hoping for an entertaining game. Brighton dominated it, but couldn't find a way to score. Uh, missing Evan Ferguson up front, missing a kind of central striker. And United won uh, six seven on penalties, with um, with Solly March missing one, which was yeah skied it over the bar. Ugh. The um, the penalty shootout was fascinating to me.
because, God, there were so many guys who took penalties where I watched their run-up, and I was just right away like, oh, he's missing. But they yeah. all made them. It was amazing I mean, to me. Like Rashford's run-up, awful. Sancho's yeah. run-up, didn't like it. Uh, I think it was a Stupignon for Brighton. Terrible. You know, like yeah. those like quick run, stop, stutter, run back again, like, then kick. Like, the herky jerky, they those are never converted, but they were and, all they were all converted in this. And one. Sanchez got his hand on a few. Um yeah, two of them. Yeah. But I mean De Gea didn't get his hand on anything because De Gea is just not good at penalties. Um Yeah, so I I, I think with the final being a Manchester Derby. I guess I'm kind of excited by that. Uh, oh, it should be a great game. Hmm. I think so. You know, you need to do something, though. They are in a bit of a torpor right now. I was talking to someone at the weekend, a big United fan. They reckon there's no chance. If they keep playing this way, there's just... Uh, if they put in anything close to the perf- the last two performances against Sevilla away, which was, I mean, a nightmare. Yeah. And... Uh, the game against Brighton, United will get destroyed by City, and I would tend to agree with that. So, so they've they've really got to find, try and get back into some kind of groove because this season is beginning to peter out a bit for them. Yeah, um, it will certainly. I guess maybe saying it'll be a great game, maybe that's strong. United would probably do well to try to muck that up and have it be one of those typical cup finals where it's it's not a great game. Um, City won't want that, but. You never know. You never know if an injection of pep brain can can occur and and send things into some sort of some sort of tailspin. Who knows? Um, it's interesting though with United. I was reading Phil McNulty has a, a column up at the BBC talking about United, and the basis of it is essentially, you know, like you're right. This is petering out a little bit for United. There's no question about that. But ultimately, if you think about what this season was for them, you know, moving on from Ronaldo, managerial change. Um, trying to find roles for certain players. Like this was always kind of supposed to be a transition year. And really, if you think about it like that, we we should all be so lucky to have clubs that have this kind of transition year where they're likely going to finish top four. They've already bagged a trophy. There's a, a chance of, of them getting a second one. I mean, to take home two trophies in a season and finish top four in what was a season that wasn't really supposed to be about that, not bad. Still send, sends a pretty positive message for where this is all headed. I broadly agree with that, but I do think, and I do think it's heading in the right direction in terms of the manager. Um, but there's a couple of inflection points along the way that can't be forgotten. I mean, the League Cup sure. final, the fo- the League Cup final win. Remember the buzz and the way we even gassed up United and how everything was rosy in the garden. That cannot be followed by a a record defeat to your biggest rival. But if they if this season ends with a top four finish and two trophies. That record defeat to Liverpool, it's not it's not the lasting memory from the season. I uh, no, it's just not. I actually I actually don't think so. Um I was Thursday night was I couldn't believe how bad they were. Um and it just goes to show you uh, how much more work needs to be done. Like to be to come out and play that way against Sevilla was shocking. Absolutely shocking. Not just from the mistakes from Takea and, and Maguire. Um, but just the general way they were overran in midfield and they looked kind of slow compared to, to Sevilla. And that that competition, Manchester United, the biggest club in the world, they put Barcelona out. They got they put to bed 
their main rival in that. And it was, I don't care what anyone says, that was right there and opened up for them. And they blew it. They were 2-0 up in that first leg. And they blew it. I think that has a massive effect on on, on how, how I would view the seed. I, I still think two trophies will be good in top four. Generally, that I, I would broadly agree with that. But it's I do huge think success. I think I think there's some points in the season where um Yeah. Yeah, the air I think the air's gone out of the tire a bit. Well, guess what? They've got a, a nice big fat get right game this Thursday when they play Tottenham. <laughs> yeah. Who are, it who all comes together. I mean, there's a danger Tottenham get the new interim bounce. The interim to the interim bounce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see that very, very often, don't you? Um, so we'll see. That's on Thursday. Uh, let's see. Let, let's bring it back here. Closing out now, a few things I wanted to just mention before we get out, JJ. Not such a small thing. The U.S. has named their new sporting director, like we we mentioned earlier, Matt Crocker, formerly of Southampton. Um. Obviously, you know, I was listening to uh, different analysis of this, and I don't know, people like are sometimes going to force a take. I'm not saying not to have an opinion on something like this, but who, like, honestly, who the hell knows? We have to see what kind of manager he wants to appoint. Um, but at this point, it's very difficult for me to say whether or not this is or isn't a, a good hire for the U.S. I kind of like on the surface of it, that it's that they've gone a little bit outside of the, the typical comfort zone outside of the USMNT or us soccer federation bubble. Um, yes. I, I do kind of like that. Uh, this is from Jeff Carlisle and Kyle, uh, Kyle Bonagura from ESPN FC. They say Crocker ticks a lot of boxes in terms of what the USSF wanted from a candidate, having worked in youth development at Southampton, as well as aiding in the building of Southampton's women's team that fits with the remit of sporting director that was laid out last month by USSF CEO, JT Batson, who said the individual will remain in charge of the USSF's national teams, all 27 of them, including youth sides, and will set out the technical vision and still oversee talent identification. So, you know, Matt Crocker has that sort of like large scale experience. Um, he also, so he was with Southampton from 06 to 2013 when a lot of marquee names went through that system um, in terms of youth development. Bale, uh, Ward Prowse, I think Theo Walcott, I think was during that time as well. Um, there's a, I mean, there's a whole host. We, we know what Southampton was churning out during that time. He was a part of that. Then he went away and worked with the English FA for a number of years and was responsible for um, the youth teams for England and that have experienced a lot of success. Uh, and then he went back to Southampton in the last couple of years. So look to me, sure. I mean, we'll see. I'm glad that they, this was the first, they needed this to happen before the real, the real stuff could begin um, in terms of identifying who this next manager is going to be. Obviously Jesse March's name is going to be an interesting one because of his recent negotiations with that club. Um, and so Matt Crocker, I'm guessing through that has certainly some familiarity with him. Maybe they've met spoken, who knows? Um, but I don't understand why anybody would say, oh, this is bad. This is disastrous. I don't can't can't sit here and say that right now. No, the point that you make about uh, being out of the U.S. soccer, if I may use the term clique, the kind of very close family network of U.S. soccer, I, I think is a good thing. I would I would note that um, I was listening or I, I saw a clip from one of the CBS shows. Uh, the soccer shows that have now started on on CBS and yeah, I saw were, that too. Their morning show with Charlie Davies, 
uh, yeah, is that the one you're talking about? I yeah. watched that. And they they were kind of saying, well, it's important that whoever comes in knows the intricacies and the U.S. system and and soccer. I actually Nico I actually said that right? Was it Nico Cantor? I think who said that? Yeah, I I actually don't think that's true. Uh, what we need is less knowledge of it. Um, he'll learn whatever he needs to learn. And I think it's important that we break away from the ex-player, uh, friend of a friend, everybody knows everybody else in soccer, and try and do something a bit different because we've seen some problems with that. I tend, I tend to agree. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Maybe fresh eyes is the is the term. Sure, sure. A um, couple other things, JJ. One thing I wanted to mention with a women's World Cup, obviously on the horizon. Uh, saw some news come across the other day that kind of stopped me in my tracks a little bit. England has emerged as one of the favorites for this tournament. Um, and Leah Williamson, one of their star players, will not be a part of it. She tore her ACL. Just devastating um, for, obviously, for, for England, um, but more so for her. I mean, there's a player in her in her absolute peak right now. She's been brilliant at club level. And, um, I mean, that just the frustration of that. I can only imagine what that feels like. Um and so I, I feel terrible for her. And, uh, yeah, it's a big blow to England's World Cup chances. Still a great team, certainly. But uh, that's that's going to be a tough one for them to uh, for them to recover from. So It's it's really, really tough. I, I mean, again, <laughs> she is 26. There is lots of football left. She will come back from it. But it's that doesn't mean anything. When you're right on the brink of it, it's... It's absolutely brutal. Totally devastating for her. Yeah. Um, so, and this is on top of uh, Beth Mead, one yes. of England's other star players who's already been ruled out for this upcoming World Cup. So, um, yeah, some really, you know, some huge names uh, for not just that team, but for the sport in general, for this tournament in general. You know, just like we, we talked about, you know, for the the men's World Cup, oh, how's this? You know, this odd calendar going to go down with injuries and all that. Well, even in a normal calendar, uh, the same thing can happen. And unfortunately, England are dealing with the the brunt of that right now. Brutal. I, I, I would just point people towards the excellent John Nicholson, who has written a piece on Football Three Six Five. I'll post it on our Twitter at Zero Soccer Pod and Instagram um, Caught Offside Pod. Uh, Leah Williamson is latest footballer to fall victim to a sport designed for men. And what he means by that hmm. is so much of the stuff, um, so much of the gear, so much of the everything uh, has been kind of like, for example, he says, no big boot brand has yet produced a boot designed for women, though some are said to be doing so for this summer's World Cup. That it has taken so long is symptomatic of how the needs of women have simply been ignored or at best were an afterthought. And, and as we know, women are... Uh, significantly more likely to get ACL injuries. Um, even the length of studs is controversial for women, he writes. They are designed around uh, male weight, bulk, movement, and traction. But women are physically very different. They run differently. Pressure and weight is placed differently on the feet. Doctors say wearing longer studs means they get stuck in the ground, and this increases the chance of twanging ACL. So it's just all, like, the sport is trying to catch up. Now, like, women's football has just, like, exploded. And now it's just, like... We have to find a way to get gear and to get, um, uh, you know, technology up to the up to the same standard because they are 
like I said, uh, women are more likely to to ping their ACL than than men are. And um, that's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of there's some really good stuff in it uh, from uh, Johnny the Nick. So John Nicholson on Football Three Six Five. I'll post that out later. Um, two other notes before we close out. I uh, wanted to mention Napoli. They inch closer in a hard fought victory over Juve, where a couple goals were disallowed for Juventus that were razor thin margins. Um, but one thing that I we talked about when Napoli were bounced from the Champions League, and we wondered. Eh, Boy, that was an opportunity missed, and that is still the case. And and I I couldn't help but wonder: will that in some way cast some sort of shadow over the achievement to come, winning the league? Will will there be part of that fan base that is st- still thinking mm-hmm. about what could have been? Well, I would say that is a resounding no, based no. on the scenes following this one. That city is ready to explode. I mean, it's it's incredible. They have not won. They have not officially won yet, and the celebration is underway. And I can only imagine what it's going to actually look like when it becomes official. But holy crap, uh, they you... are they are ready for this in a way that I, I shouldn't say I couldn't imagine. I mean, I know that's a football crazed place and they've been waiting a long time for it. But until you actually see it, I mean, the, the cavalcade of motorcycles behind the oh, team's bus scooters. Not, uh, yeah, whatever is incredible. Uh, so, I mean, I'm I am pre-excited it's going to look like buenos aires after argentina won the world cup like it feels like that's what we're heading towards here uh so yeah i, I don't think that champions league is really registering right no. now among that fan base i actually think it'll be soon forgotten because what they're about to do is just so meaningful for them and um anybody who watches... said that if ac milan or inter milan go on and win the champions league well then you'll have a couple italian cities celebrating in that kind of fashion so but, but don't forget there's italian cities and then there's naples and the difference between Milan celebrating and Naples celebrating will be very, very different. There will be men in angular glasses and high polo necks sipping <laughs> coffee in Milan. And there will be men with high, high uh, haircuts, haircuts that come shaved right up the side and then flopped over and tattoos uh, who will be going absolutely bat in Naples. So there's there is a. There is a qualitative difference in, in the celebrations, I would say. And don't forget the North and the South there. It's like two different countries within one country. I'm looking at that Cavalcade video um, recorded from the Na- Na- Napoli team bus with the guys on the motorcycles and the scooters. It reminds me very much of Gomorrah, the, the Italian um, modern-day mafia show about the drug-dealing families in um, and uh, uh, in, in, in Naples, in modern-day Naples. Obviously a, dr- a drama. And um, they all they all fly around on scooters, and um, I love that show so much. <laughs> it's it's really great. They're so intense in it, though, Andrew. Two characters will meet, and I'm wondering if this is what these guys are like, Napoli supporters. Two characters will meet, and by episode number two, they'll be pledging undying fealty and loyalty to each other and love, <laughs> like very very quickly. Uh, like Pietro, I have known you for just a while but I will go to the gates of hell with you. And I'm like, all right, calm down. Jeez, lads. You've just <laughs> met. Yeah, did I, did I miss some episodes? Yeah. Get, yeah. Yeah. It <laughs> happens so quick. It, it's uh, and, and also uh, it, uh, the De Laurentiis family that own uh, Napoli, it should be noted are the, they make their money in TV and they're the executive producers, et cetera. Uh, and, and producers behind Gamora. So, Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, and then finally, in one in one final blow to be inflicted upon Tottenham this season, it <laughs> appears now that Mauricio Pochettino has taken the lead and is the front runner for the Chelsea managerial position. Oh. 
I mean, when does it end? Like, oh my God. when when does this misery end? Um, look, I, I said before that uh, Luis Enrique would have been my choice for Chelsea manager, but that was at a point in time when it didn't feel like Pochettino was a candidate, right? Or his name wasn't really coming up. Now that it is, uh, I think it'd be a brilliant hire. I mean, do you think look, that's I, a good fit? Yes, I yes. wonder. I think it's a fair, yeah. There's there's big egos there, but yeah. overall, it is it is kind of a fairly young team still. Um, a lot of their core are young players. A lot of a lot of the players that have been brought in recently are also young players. Mudger, yeah. um, I think he is a players manager, which I think would do that team well right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was reading, um, I think it was Melissa Reddy at Sky Sports who wrote an article about uh, you can go to pretty much every club that he has been at PSG included, by the way, where it wasn't always glorious there, but his connection with players, every step along the way, you, you can't escape it. He connects with these guys. They say, even when he got to Southampton, Adam Lalana was talking about it. He could barely speak English. He had taken one course in English That's and, right. immediately, and immediately uh, in, in, before his first training session, Lalana said he already had the team. He had them. He could barely speak. His passion, the way he connected with players, just the way he spoke, um, just the the way he just how he is. Um, guys, it resonates. Guys relate to him, um, and that's nothing to say for how good of an actual. That's just man management. I mean, we haven't even gotten to the fact that that he's a brilliant football mind. We saw what he did at Tottenham with a club that whose budget was not that of the teams around them. You know, when he got there, they were not a quote unquote super league team. When he left, they were. That was you know a lot of that was down to him um so yeah i don't it's not going to be easy obviously that is a bloated squad and there's going to be a lot of work that has to be done to kind of clear guys out of there and and in ways that make sense but i i just believe in that guy and i think if if anyone could push the right buttons and find the right guys that fit what he wants to do and move out the right ones who who won't uh, i i think it's him i i sadly i uh i would give that hire my my full endorsement Oh God! <laughs> Just not them. Yeah, not no. them. Well, it's got to be what you're thinking, buddy. Yeah, no, no Tottenham fan wants to see this. Um, Imagine him in the blue training top of Chelsea Football Club. I mean, the final blow here would be for him to take Kane. To, oh. Now it seems like Manchester United are emerging as the favorite for that. They're hell bent. Um, yeah, uh, but. I mean, I know Kane's relationship with Pochettino was, was they were famously close. So, yeah, uh, we'll see. Uh, look, I don't want to be sad. Like, this is not a this is a neutral podcast. If you're a Chelsea supporter and you're reading this, um, these reports, you should be I would say you should be happy about it. Um, but we'll see. I mean, this stuff has changed a lot, but it does feel like this is in the final stages. It's starting. It's, it's feeling more and more like an inevitability that this is going to happen. Can I do one quick thing before yeah. we go? Just yeah. one quick thing. Um, so Burnley top, not yet champions, uh, but will be soon of the uh, of the championship. Sheffield United in second place in 82 points. And then it's Luton Town on 78, Middlesbrough on 74 for the third and fourth spot. But five and six for the playoffs. So you've got you've got um, you've got Coventry in fifth on sixty six, Sunderland in sixth on sixty five, and then Millwall in seventh on sixty five. 
Blackburn in eighth on 65. West Brom in ninth, in ninth on 63. Ugh, Preston, wow. 63 in 10th. Norwich City, 62 in 11th. And down to 12th, Swansea on 62 points in 12th. Like just four points off, uh, or three points off the final playoff place. Amazing, absolutely amazing. That that really is. It's kind of like the relegation race in the Premier League just taken and and moved up the table a little bit. It really is. And and what what uh what a story, Coventry City. Well, I'll tell you who I want to see emerge from this. Who with, with where? Oh, I know what you're with where Newcastle are at right now. To to rekindle a <laughs> Newcastle Sunderland rivalry in this moment with a true like, I mean, look in the Premier League, if you if you want to look at it this way, they're all Goliaths in some form. Yeah, but something about the Sunderland story of how low it got for them to get back those new those games against Newcastle with that David Goliath feel to it would just be so fun. I, I would real I think those would be such events. Um, I, I'd like to see that happen again. I, I'm going to say something controversial. You don't want anyone to make it. You pervert the that, rules. Pervert that I am. I would love to see Millwall get into the Premier League. That would thrill my heart. They are not everybody's cup of tea. Some of their supporters have proven themselves to be vile, utterly rough, vile. rough around the edges. Rough around the edges is that's a gentle, gentle way to comment on on some of the behavior of these guys. But they nearly had their club stadium sold out from underneath them by Lewisham County Council. They have this, I don't know. There's something, there's something real about them, Andrew, and they, they, their support. I know uh, divides a lot of people. Um, chances are, look, that they would even if they did scrape in. I, I don't know if they'd have the form to, to win a semi-final and a final. Two more games, not sure about that. But I, for me, working class, gritty, urban, uh, hated Sunderland. For, uh, Sunderland would be the, the, the Hollywood choice. Uh, Millwall would be the, um, the fun choice, I think. Hmm. And I know I'm going to get I'm going to get emails from people. Do you know what this Millwall fan said about such and such? Yeah, I know. Do, I mean, they've come out with some awful stuff, including about Irish people. I I do get that, but that's not their whole fan base. Wow, this is an interesting moment for you, someone who doesn't always uh, doesn't always do that with fan bases. I want. I just. I feel like I'm rooting. For I chaos. think. I think you are. Here's what I think. To really cut to the core of what's going on here. Oh, God. I think the Premier League is boring you right now. It is a bit. I think you're bored with the Premier League. And for you, this is you're throwing you're just throwing in the grenade and walking away. Let's just let's just mix it up. Yeah. Let's just have something let's just insert a crazy variable yeah. and see Them. what it does to the equation. Them. Yeah. <laughs> I think that I think it's I don't know that this is based on any act any actual affinity that you have for that club. I think you just need a variable thrown into the mix. Yeah. And there's just some clubs that kind of move me. Like I'll watch, someone says there's a documentary on Millwall. I watched one from the seventies on, um, uh, I, what they call them F company or, or uh, they were just a bunch of maniacs 
who uh, were part of a Millwall for, firm who travel around uh, England in the 70s, kicking the S out of every rival supporter that they can. And I found something very compelling about that, very raw, very real. And you're right, though. I am. The Premier League does bore me a bit sometimes. Yeah, and you're I'm, just, I'm, you know, you're just kind of. I'm trying to get my kicks on Channel Six. You, you got your little beaker there, and you filled it up. Oh, let's let's get some water in. Okay, we'll let's add some hydrogen, maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, some helium. I don't know carbon. Let's just see. Oh, it's just bubbling a little, bubbling a little. You know what? I'm bored with this. Let's get some. Uh, let's get some plutonium in there. <laughs> see what that does. Oh, yeah, massive explosion. Like I said, Andrew, I and uh, maybe, maybe this is the 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 take home point from this podcast. I want to feel something. All right. Um, I felt all the things with this podcast. So many emotions. Uh, just it's it's wonderful. The pain, the joy, everything. I, I've really been through it. And um, it's been fun. It's been fun. Uh, JJ, I got nothing left. Do you? No, I'm good. Oh, all right. Then we're all good here. Hey, to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.